the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Jump in the chat. Smash that like button. It helps grow the show. It helps more people know about what we got going on here at Cover 3. A lot to get to today. It was a Fairly busy Saturday in spring game action. We are going to run through some of the things that we have heard or saw or have read coming out of Nebraska, coming out of Florida State, where we, of course, had our celebrity coach, Danny Cannell, as uh, as one of the coaches. Uh, Brian McFadden, also CBS Sports HQ, was a part of that as well. Auburn, uh, Clemson, and uh, a very, very interesting game in Kentucky, and a few other headlines from uh, all across the way. We also have some huge recruiting news. The Oregon Ducks pulling off a little bit of a Pac-12 stunner. We'll get into that. Georgia's got some transfer portal action with some players going out, uh, or at least entertaining the option of going out. But we want to begin not necessarily with how DJ Uyunglele looked, not necessarily with how Cade Klubnik looked, or the fact that neither offense was able to get much going against Clemson's defense. More on that in a bit. But instead, it was Dabo Sweeney trending over the weekend, not for anything on the field in the orange-white game, but for a wide-ranging interview with ESPN's Chris Lowe, uh, which allowed him to be able to... Uh, dial in uh, or express some of his thoughts on uh, the leadership of college football, super conferences, name, image, and likeness, professionalization of college athletes, why coaches are paid so much. It it was a lot, Tom. What what stood out to you before we get into like what some of the reaction was? I, I just want to say like as you read this, um, how did you digest it? You know what? This is going to come as a shock. But as I read the entire interview and article, I was a lot less bothered by it based on what everybody on social media was just off of the one paragraph of text that was mostly the one shared about how much he and Nick Saban make compared to, you know, like then going into the like comparing it to Delta CEO and baggage handlers, which I agree. He probably could have gone with a better comparison because i feel like comparing like you know deshaun watson to a baggage handler is probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) not really what the the actuality of the situation is but if you read the entire interview there's nothing new in there as far as that Dabo hasn't said a billion times already the the overall gist is he doesn't like where things are right now because there's like no rules everybody's just kind of free to do whatever the hell they want to do everybody's playing different rules uh he he's He's against the professionalization of college football. But while people take that as he's against players getting paid, that's not what he means. He's against payers, players being paid exclusively. And that's all that matters. Like the college aspect of it is no longer important. He just wants there to still be an emphasis on education while players are getting paid. Because as he says many times in this interview and in answer to many questions, he's all for NIL. And he even goes out about how Clemson is one of three programs with over a million Twitter followers. So he's like, of course I'm into NIL because I think Clemson has something to sell these kids if they want to come here. And he's thrilled because as he mentions, 98% of these kids aren't going to be playing in the NFL. So if they have a chance to make money now while they're in college and they have the platform, he's all for it. But again, it's the comparison to... Saban and Dabo and all the coaches making so much more money than the players, which I agree with everybody else in their reaction to that. But 
I think that too often when you look at scenarios like this, like, let's be honest, not many of the people who were bothered by what Dabo said would turn down a raise at their own job because somebody else in the company is making less money. Yeah, the, the phrases that got highlighted and shared over and over on social media included him uh, making reference to our capitalist society, uh, that he is in favor of the free market. And the reason why he has paid so much money, the reason why Nick Saban is being paid so much is because of the free market system that dictates what their value is. And that is being compared to the fact that college athletics is not a true no. free market society. And, and that's where some people are finding the contradiction. But dragging Dabo is like an, an old, I mean, that's... Why that's, are we asking Dabo to be an expert on capitalism and freaking market inefficiencies? Like, he's a football coach. Like, we're getting mad at the coach instead of the system. Why, why'd we have to come in here with all this sense? Why, why'd we have to come in here? We would, we, we would get way more shares and likes if, if we came in with some outrage. But I think that asking Dabo Sweeney to be this, Dabo Sweeney has not even been on the top of the sport for that long. Dabo, this has been in the process of how long some of these other coaches have been around, the ones that are tenured, the ones that we do look to to be the voice of, of college football or to be uh, some sort of overarching leader for the entire sport. Like, like Dabo Sweeney was still promising a stadium full of pizza to his fans. And that was seven years ago. You can't trust somebody who promised pizza that he wasn't sure he was going to be able to come up with, that, that he's going to be able to, to look past this. He is in charge of the Clemson football program and winning as many games as he can, of being able to recruit players to that program and help them go on to other parts of their life. And this is the one thing that I'm starting to – wrestle with because I do think that it is misconstrued a lot. I I don't want to say I support, but I understand that Dabo wants to make sure that the academics are not totally eliminated from this. Mm -hmm. And I understand that draws a lot of eye roll from mm -hmm. people who believe that because of the widespread evidence of fraudulent classes, fake curriculums, things that have been established in order to allow college football players to essentially get through their time in college without having to experience the academic rigors that the rest of the university population gets to. But there's something about the, the university experience that I do think has value. And there's something about the university experience that allows for uh, the college football player to have that full, like go to a classroom that doesn't just have college football players, you yeah. know, like meet new people that are outside of the place where you grew up and went to high school and that are not on your football team. And those experiences do have a lot of value. And so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know quite how to wrestle with this, but I think that I too hope that, you know, if we move forward to a place where the universities are paying players, you know, not just allowing them to get name, image, and likeness, but taking a, a shaving off of those millions of dollars that are coming in from the television revenue and allowing that to be dispersed to the athletes that are helping generate that revenue. If we get to that place, I do hope that we are allowing for college football players, 18 to 22 year olds, to still have those experiences of if they of choosing to go to classes of choosing to engage with the university populace because i think that that has like a human value that i agree i i don't want to see taken away from the college football experience yeah and dabble even mentions that too like in one of the answers like he talks about the importance of the education but he also uses like the word connectivity that is kind of like what you're saying just to be able to interact and develop those kind of connections with other people at the school because like you know you can always counter it saying we can't pretend like coaches are pretending that the education matters when a lot of these kids are funneled into like majors that really don't mean much of anything. It's just can, these are classes you could pass so we can keep you eligible. And for some players like guys with NFL futures, they do that. And there's a sense to it. But on the other end, getting a college degree, like how many of people do you know have a college degree who actually work in the field for where they got their degree? So like what was more important to them? Going to college, getting the degree, getting the experience from it and making the connections to help move on post-college into your adult life or being a specific degree and then working in that specific category. So there is a value to getting a college degree, whether you think that degree is valuable or whether you want to compare it to what other degrees are. But I know some people with law degrees. I know some people with English degrees who are all very much in the same boat right now and doing the same exact job. So again, 
what does that degree really mean other than, hey, you met certain requirements to get this piece of paper? Where, when, uh, when Dabo's really starting to take aim at um, the, uh, like you mentioned, there's no rules with NIL. Why do you think that he has targeted the the name, image, and likeness? Again, it's something that he says multiple times in this interview mm-hmm. that he he supports NIL and he love and he even talked about. He said uh, Clemson football has one million followers, or one of three programs in the country to have one million followers. They have some of these guys on the team are have a bigger platform right now than they will ever have in their entire lives, and so he supports them being able to profit off of that. Um, do you think that it is the recruiting? the inducement side of this uh like what what are going to be the pieces that you think he's he's hoping are going to end up being changed i think i think dabo's fine with nil i think he would just like there to be some sort of uniform rules and that's another thing he talks about in the interview too is how he thinks that we're moving in a direction where you know 50 schools are kind of going to break off and form their own college football league and they're going to play by their own rules because as he said it's like Alabama and Middle Tennessee exist in entirely different worlds. You can't ask them to play by the same rules when they are doing such drastically different things, competing for such drastically different things. And I think that his ultimate hope is not so much uh, don't pay the players, just give them degrees, which is how it's going to be painted by a lot of people. I even saw in our own comments, people who have been listening to the show are summarizing what we're saying is Dabo hates NIL, which is so far off of what we've been saying. But I think that it's just a situation where he just wants there to he wants to know what the rules are and he wants everybody to be playing by the same rules and he doesn't want it to be we're just going to pay these kids to be here school be damned he wants them to still incentivize education while also paying the players what they can get and what they would be worth which I don't think is a terrible thing I think that's kind of what most people want it's just he didn't say it in the same exact way that everybody else is saying it so we have to jump down his throat personally. If I'm a Clemson fan, the most problems, problemsome or problematic thing I read in that interview was Dabo's approach to the transfer portal, <laughs> which here's the quote, because he was asked, you know, what about your taking transfers? And he said, quote, my transfer portal is right there in that locker room, because if I'm constantly going out every year and adding guys from the transfer portal, I'm telling all those guys in that locker room that I don't believe in them and I don't think they can play. We're also not doing our job as coaches and recruiters if we're bringing in a bunch of transfers. I agree. You probably if you're if you're a development program, you don't want to be bringing in 50 transfers a year. But I still think that, you know, you should probably be a little more pay a little more attention to the transfer portal than that, especially seeing like, you know, yesterday, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about this later too. a couple former highly rated recruits from Georgia offensive linemen hit the transfer portal. You know who has a need on the offensive line? I do. (laughs) Clemson maybe should be paying some attention to that transfer portal right now because there might be something in there they could use. Uh, Do you think that there is uh, a way to, I mean, Again, the the screenshots, the like the 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 way that it took off on, on Twitter and social media. Do you think that there's a way that everybody's going to be able to come together on this, where you can universities could be paying players in a new world of college football, while also having the having the ability for them to go to classes, be students, and obtain an education. Do you see that from those who support the pay the players initiative, they almost want them as employees, where the only thing they do is show up to the university and play football and then move on with the rest of their life? Like I, I don't know how to blend those two because I I want I support the idea that they make some share off of the millions of dollars of television revenue, which they are not even now in name in the name, image, and likeness era. But at the same time, I'm, I am i don't know how to bridge that gap right now. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's just hard to think that anybody right now is going to be able to solve this because it's a really complicated issue. And what complicates it even further is that there's, you know, 100 years of history of doing it a different way. So as we've seen, not just in sports, but just in the country in general, anytime we do something for a long time and then it dawns on us that we've probably been doing it wrong and we need to change it and we need to figure out a new way to do it, it takes a really long time for us to go through that process to figure it out. So, which is why I think kind of to what Dabo was saying, the most likely outcome I would say of what the future looks like is that certain schools and conferences just break off on their own to form their own thing 
and just start from quote unquote scratch about how they want to do things, how they want to implement things and how they want to regulate things. And I think that is a very likely outcome to which we could see the power five conferences just forming a new quote unquote college football league. Would would we have to draw straws on who does the live blogs for the minor league? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how does the cbsports.com team get broken up when we're deciding live blogs for the the major league college football and the minor league college football on a saturday i will say as a college football fan i don't think it would be good because i do think it would pretty much just kind of relegate the other conferences to like fcs status which i know some people really like fcs football but there's not a whole lot of people who pay super close attention to fcs football but as far as an employee and a career perspective, it would be nice to have to concentrate on a lot fewer teams than we're supposed to already, just as far as managing our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 100, listen, try, try them 358 that they're doing over there in college basketball. I'm just glad that by the time I transition over there for my little moonlighting three months, they've already whittled down the teams that matter to like 120. Mm-hmm. It's a, little, a little bit more of a, a manageable thing. But, oh, and to your point on the, the transfer portal, and this falls in line kind of with my reaction to a lot of this. I'm not surprised that that's what Dabo thinks. No. You want to know why I'm not surprised? Because the man hasn't made an outside hire. He lost <laughs> his offensive coordinator, yeah. his defensive coordinator, his offensive line coach transitioned to an off-field role, his defensive line coach left with his defensive coordinator, and the man just looked around the building and was like, all right, Adam. Wes, all right, y'all, come on down. <laughs> come on down the slide. <laughs> in in a strange way, Dabo is a victim of Clemson's success in that if he was doing everything he's done at Clemson, minus the national titles and all that stuff, but at like a mid-level Power 5 kind of development program, we would talk about what a great coach he is. But since he's doing these things that kind of go against the grain of what you're supposed to do to compete for national championships for a program that has won national championships, everybody's kind of like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's an idiot. So it's it's a weird balance. Like, I don't know if I don't know if Clemson can continue competing for national titles in the transfer portal and NIL era if it keeps trying to do things, the more traditional developmental program, develop the human kind of approach that it has taken. But I don't know if maybe that's the most important thing to Dabo Sweeney. Um, he did also have some some lines in there that were like, hey, we're not going to win it every year. You were talking about like some quotes that might jump out to a Clemson fan like, what? Mm-hmm. What, what are you talking about? He's like, look, we're not going to win the ACC every year. We just need to consistently put ourselves in position so that we could win the ACC every year. And after we won the ACC every single season from 2015 to 2021, I imagine that there is a, a sub-generation, not an entire generation, but a sub-generation of Clemson fans that's like, well, what do you mean we're not going to win it every year? <laughs> I thought that's what we did. I thought I we were the I, greatest program of all time. I thought that's I thought that that's what we did. Okay, we will get more uh, to Clemson's actual spring game coming up in just a little bit, and some of our thoughts there and what it might mean for 2021. But uh, real quickly, some other news items. First, a, a little bit of a Pac-12 stunner here. I uh, saw some Oregon fans jump in in the chat. You should celebrate because five-star offensive lineman Josh Connerly on CBS Sports HQ Friday night announced his commitment to Oregon. And why is that particularly significant from the Pac-12 perspective? Because I was uh, going through maybe two days before the announcement, and I was looking at that you know, 24-7 sports crystal ball, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like USC, 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 and all of these predictions had all come in you know, in the last two weeks or so. I think like March 28th or 29th, somewhere around the end of the month. And normally, when if you're tracking recruiting trends, and the 24-7 sports obviously is the best, the crystal ball is fantastic, and a good way to understand uh, the way that things are trending for a particular recruit and their decision. I'm kind of like, yeah, Lincoln secured the bag. Yeah, like they've this this staff has it together. They've been killing it in the transfer portal. They went out and they were able to you know, get a couple of those Oklahoma commits to come with them. He they're about to get this five star offensive lineman. Then Connerly picks Oregon and not USC. Uh, to to me. If you're an Oregon fan, this gives you so much excitement that Dan Lanning is bringing the recruiting chops mm-hmm. and his staff 
is going to be able to maintain what has been an upward trajectory ever since Mario Cristobal took over in terms of Oregon's ability to land the best recruits in the country. Yeah, I think that is the biggest takeaway for me too. It's it's not Connerly himself because I mean he's a very good player. He's an offensive lineman, but it's not like, oh, this is the guy that's going to make sure we win national titles. I just think that for Lincoln to come to USC and as you were going over all that quote that momentum that he had built up both in the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal and then all those crystal balls of Connerly going to USC for landing to show up at Oregon and to kind of flip him based on the expectation of what everybody thought was going to happen to come to Oregon and now Oregon, I think it has the number one class, I think in 24 sevens composite rankings for the PAC 12 for 2023. To me, it's just, it's like, all right, cool. Cause that means there's still going to be another program in the PAC 12 for USC to kind of go up against. Because I also think that one of the problems the PAC 12 has had recent years is while USC has been down, like they had every year, there seemed to be like one team that was kind of pretty good. It wasn't really playoff good because they would always trip up and lose to somebody and it would kind of destroy their hopes. But there was never really kind of the, you know, the enemy to go against the competitor, the rival. And I think that having a very strong Oregon in the north and a very strong USC in the south is only going to mean good things for the entire Pac-12 going forward, especially when you look at the programs like Utah, Washington, all these other schools that have shown an ability to win UCLA, if they can then, you know, keep the pace that they're at while those two are, those two are kind of, I don't want to say dominating, but leading the way. It's just good for the Pac-12 in general to have that happening. So I think that if you're a Ducks fan, you're pretty excited because you did lose Mario to Miami, but Dan Lanning coming in and doing this with Connerly kind of just says, okay, yeah, well, all the recruiting kind of prowess we built up under Mario, it's not going anywhere. We're still going to be able to do it. Yeah, a lot of uh, credit goes to Lanning for his coaching hires. You know, the staff that he put together plays a big role in this. And another uh, item of clarification, I know it seems crazy to be talking about this on April 11th, but Josh Connolly's from the 2022 recruiting class, which means that uh, he will be a part of that program this, starting this fall. I, yeah. I need to uh, do a hard review of Oregon's offensive line. I'm just going to guess that he, we're not expecting him to come in and take over a starter's role, having not been in spring practice, but uh, he will become part of the Ducks program for year one of Dan Lanning, and without a doubt, and he, he does, to your point, gives them the best 2022 recruiting class in the Pac-12 and gives them a class that now nationally ranks in the top 16. So that is uh, that's awesome, awesome stuff for Lanning and, and great, great stuff for everybody on his uh Every, everybody on his staff. Yeah, no, it's I, it's it's a reason to be excited about the Pac-12 in 2022, which is all I'm taking from it. But yeah, I don't. I think Connerly kind of committing this late into spring. I mean, we've talked about it before last in the last episode how offensive linemen and defensive linemen tend to need some seasoning before you can really just kind of fully throw them out there. But I wouldn't be surprised if Connerly's on that Ducks offensive line as a mainstay by the time the season ends. Mm. Good thing to uh, keep an eye on. Speaking of five-star offensive linemen, the Georgia Bulldogs have two former five-star offensive linemen that have entered the transfer portal. Dogs 247 was the first to be on this as Amarius Mims, who was from the 2021 recruiting class, a 6'7", 330-pound tackle with a 7'1 wingspan, top-rated recruit in that 2021 class. He is, uh, in for my money, the headliner of this group. Clay Webb, though, also a former five-star prospect. He was from the 2019 cycle. Uh, he is also in the recruiting class as well. You know, these are oh, just four Mims. The tackle position, he was not going to see the field right now. Uh, Arm McClendon and Broderick Jones, they've got basically entrenched players at both starting tackle positions. He got a little bit of game action during Mims did his during his freshman season in 2021. Clay Webb did not play a single game in 2021 and had very limited action in 2020. So for for Mims, I see this as being uh, you know, you hate to lose somebody with a first round NFL draft type ceiling and first round NFL draft type projection. But when you're recruiting blue chip offensive linemen every single year, I tend to think that m my thought is this is the uh, the cost of doing business yes. when you recruit this well along the lines. When you look at like there's there's different ways you have to look at Georgia. And it's similar. Like when you look at some teams that 
get a five-star QB in their recruiting class every year, you know at least two of those guys will transfer before Ohio their State. College. Yeah. Like that's the example that I think we've got going right now. Yeah. So you look at Ohio State, you think their quarterbacks, their wide receivers, they're going to have guys transfer because they just have so many five-star guys. Georgia, they don't have <laughs> that's just how their offensive line and their defensive line is. They have so many guys that are really good players who are just not going to be able to crack the rotation or the depth chart once other guys get established barring injury and they're too good to want to sit there and be reserve roles when they know they can go start somewhere else and get to the NFL. I mean, just look at what happened with Jermaine Johnson last year. Transferred from Georgia to Florida State. Suddenly one of the best edge rushers in the ACC. Probably going to be a first-round pick. Wasn't a problem for Georgia. Wasn't a problem for Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, it's just, it's that situation. So like these guys that are entering the transfer portal, it's like, oh, wow, you you might, your initial reaction might be, oh, wow, Georgia's losing a couple key players. It's like, no, Georgia's offensive line is probably going to be fine. And a couple other schools are going to benefit from Georgia recruiting the offensive line so well in that these guys are now going to be available and you can add them to your team. And I, you know, it's like we were joking about earlier, like Dabla Swinney needs help on the offensive line. I hope he's in the portal talking to both these guys right now. Yeah, the it's 11 players since the end of last season have entered the transfer portal. A few are undecided. Among those undecided, JT Daniels, as we will continue to await that decision. I'm sure it is coming uh, in the near future. Uh, one more uh, little bit of news. Wanted to pick your brain on this one. So Sean Clifford has launched his own NIL agency. Yep. And I've got to think that this comes from all of the, um, you know, all of the exposure that Sean Clifford got here on the Cover 3 podcast as we discussed on the mailbag episode last Thursday about whether Clifford was going to be the guy. And I couldn't help but feel like all of us left a Penn State fan thinking that, I mean, Clifford, Clifford might be okay. You know, we, we did, were not as down on Clifford uh, in, in terms of our discussion of him and what we expect from the veteran QB ahead in 2022. He had to have listened to the Cover 3 podcast, as I'm sure Sean Clifford does, and be like, man, I tell you what, I need to find a way to monetize all this exposure I've gotten on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, what do you think about the entrepreneurial spirit that we've seen from Penn State's returning starting quarterback? Well, first off, I hope we're getting equity in the company. Second, um, I think it's really smart. I mean, I don't, I'm not considered to say, oh, wow, he's going to make billions of dollars for some kids because, you know, but it's, I think there are, you just look at the way things work, like players can cash in an NIL, but the long-term money is always not, you know, getting money quickly. It's just kind of being in charge of things. So if he, if this company works and he's able to, you know, kind of navigate it to where he's not just helping himself immediately, but helping other players and kind of forming something, there could be a chance for him to make some actual kind of real money out of this long term. So I'm not saying it's going to work. Odds are probably very much against it as it is with any kind of, you know, startup company that anybody starts. But I do like the idea and I think it's a good idea and I hope it does work for him because I think it's a I think that'd be awesome. Um, I think that if we want to target fan bases and college towns where you can generate yeah. some real passion. Mm hmm. If Sean Clifford likes living in State College, PA and hanging around the Penn State football program, the man could have incredible networking Saturdays in that crisp button down, you know, just in the yeah. business casual look, walking through uh, Happy Valley, just just shaking some hands, connecting some dots, helping people get involved. Again, the, the Penn State fan base, the college town atmosphere of State College, uh, like there are, there's too much working in the favor of Sean Clifford that I, I would not necessarily give to many uh, current players who might be looking at this as a potential offering because Sean Clifford's probably not going to play in the NFL. He might give it a shot, but this could be an incredible bridge into his professional business career if he's able to make it work. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's like I said, it's a really good idea. It's like don't just be the product, sell the product. There's more money selling products than there are in being them. Yeah, his uh was shout out to Mark in the chat. Um, yeah, he's it's it's not he's not going to the NFL, he's going to the NIL. <laughs> that's that's how he's going pro, baby. So congratulations to Sean Clifford. And yes, we will be in touch for uh cover three's equity stake because we clearly put you on to this brilliant idea. Coming up on the other side, time to take a look at some of the action from the spring games across the country. We'll discuss Nebraska, Florida State, Auburn, Clemson, and more next.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And we are back. Um, Do you remember that time on the challenge when Julie tried to kill the Veronica? No, I never got to that. I was about to say Seattle, New Orleans, and Hawaii is my, and I don't remember if I got them in the right order, but that's my peak. We, for those on the audio, we just had a, on the video forum, we just had a nice uh, preview at Real World New Orleans Homecoming, which is available on Paramount Plus, where you should absolutely already be a subscriber. It's where I got all my master's feeds, and it's where we'll be watching the Champions League coming up this week with leg two of the quarterfinals on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, shout out to the Kegelazzo pod. Go to them for all of your uh, podcast needs for the what? Champions League and elsewhere. But that's you can my- just get it here. Bud and Danny aren't here. We could do the next 45 minutes discussing it if you want to smash <laughs> smash that like button if you want us to just veer off into second <laughs> second leg champions league takes but this that was my um that was my sort of peak real world time was in that uh new orleans seattle hawaii you know tech and ruthie yeah uh, the slap then, yeah yeah but so julie at the challenge tried to kill veronica there was yeah there was one season of the challenge they were on like uh the whatchamacallit, like some zip line things where they had to go across, uh, whatever. If, if you've watched the challenge, you could probably picture it in your head. But like she was trying to undo Veronica's zip line to slow her down. And like it was hilarious because Veronica was literally screaming, like, you know, she could die. This woman is trying to kill me. And Julie's just like, I was just trying to win. <laughs> you gotta respect that competitive fire. I'll kill to win this competition in the 10 grand. I don't care. For ten grand, I don't care how many people have to die. I yeah. want that ten k, baby. Come on, he needs a you need to find a new business. You can make more money than ten k if you're willing to go to those slings. Uh, all right, let's let's turn our attention to uh, what some of the headlines coming out of the weekend. Uh, first, let's start at uh, I, I had Nebraska at the top of my list because the best three and nine team in the country really the best three and nine team in college football history is entering into a fascinating season because Mm -hmm. there is all of the close losses. There is how competitive Nebraska was even in that as they went three and nine, but we've also got a lot of turnover. You know, Adrian Martinez is out the door. We get in Casey Thompson from Texas. We get in Chubba Purdy from Florida state. Both of those quarterbacks have seen action. I, my read on it is that Casey Thompson probably has a leg up, but the whole offense in general is still trying to get used to new offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. Um, they had one of the modified scoring, so you couldn't really like or, or, or all of our spring games were either modified scoring, weird 40s and 30s type scores, or it was 15 mm-hmm. to 7 or 10 to 9 or something like that. Um, what's your What's your gauge for success, and and how do you feel about the way that Scott Frost has presented uh, his his Nebraska team coming out of spring? Did anybody suffer a serious injury? No. Okay, spring game was a success. Like that's the way I've, I, I obviously Nebraska fans. The the takeaway I got from it was they're not thrilled because the offense wasn't good, and everybody's kind of worried. And I get it because you've had how many seasons of subpar performance in a row, so you're already kind of on edge. But like the first half of that game, they were playing two-hand touch, which is going to be to the defense's benefit if you don't actually have to tackle the guy. So it's hard for an offense to be successful. But like you were saying, like this is you shouldn't have had high expectations for the offense in the spring to begin with because you've got new quarterbacks coming in to replace 
Adrian Martinez, who's been the starter there for like 30 years at this point. And then you've got new offensive coordinator coming in, installing a new playbook and everybody kind of learning new rules and new plays to think that they're going to come into the spring game after a couple of weeks of practice and just completely ball out and perfectly execute. Everything is asking far too much. So I wouldn't be worried about it now. Yeah, you would have loved to have seen everybody come out and play super well and just put up fantastic numbers that you could point to for the next five months. Be like, yeah, we're going 10 and two. Did you see him in the spring game? We threw for 300 yards. But remember Charlie Brewer last year in the spring game, Chip? 15 for 15. Yeah, he was great. He was perfect. And then what happened? Got Republican, got benched for Cam Rising by uh, by midseason. And Utah got a lot better afterwards. So, again, yeah. when it comes to spring games, my ultimate goal is always practice game. Don't let anybody get hurt. And if they do get hurt, have it be something where they'll be back and ready to play for practice in the summer. The thing that uh, really stood out to me as Scott Frost was detailing sort of his takeaways after the spring game was how he, he's here. I've got it right here. Um, they with spring ball finished early, I guess, compared to their typical calendar, you know, what, what, what are you expecting? He said, we're pushing everything up a little bit. The season is pushed up. We're going to push summer conditioning up a little bit. We need to work on X's and O's and stuff, particularly on offense where there's new stuff. We didn't show any of it today, but new stuff we're doing that the kids just need more reps at, and we need to be a little tighter with everything we're doing. It's going to be a good mix going forward of a sped up summer conditioning and a little more work with coaches when we are allowed to. I I would never suggest. Hasn't Scott and Frost gotten in, tr- get in trouble for doing too many practices? That's just off the top of my mind. I know that anyway. Maybe, I would never I allege. Yeah. I would never allege that somebody was breaking the uh, the NCAA coaching and contact rules. But what I what I took away from Scott Frost and his assessment of where Nebraska's at is like, yeah, look, it was good to get out there in front of the fans. It was good to get out there and compete, but man, like in terms of the books, the learning, the teaching, we are so far behind from where we need to be. Uh, Casey Thompson probably has the lead. He, he's, he, Scott Frost even said, Chubba Purdy's a little bit farther behind, you know, what, do you, do you have any like early expectations or thoughts? Have you decided where you're going to land on Nebraska when we when we have to start doing those win totals discussions in three months? Uh, depends where the win total is, but I would say they're going to go to a bowl. That's my big prediction for Nebraska in 2022. They're going bowling, baby. You can if you do not improve on the greatest three and nine team of all time by at least three wins, then what are you even doing here? We got to go from being the greatest three and nine team to just a perfectly acceptable six and six team. <laughs> um, all right, let's turn our attention to uh, the ACC first with the orange and white game where in the post game press conference, like Dabo Sweeney said, you know, DJ DJ is our starter. He hasn't done anything to not be our starter. He's going to enter the offseason as the starting quarterback. Uh, neither offense was great. Clemson fans, who were always going to be excited about the new thing, seem to be a little bit more excited about Cade Klubnik. What's your sense of what we should do with Clemson after the defense totally dominated the offense? Does that mean, hey, guess what? Clemson's defense has been one of the best in the country for many years in a row now. They were awesome last year. They're going to be awesome again, and and don't be so concerned about it. Or do you think that the fact that the passing game wasn't really clicking all that much, and again, 20 scholarship players were out, Mm -hmm. including – multiple offensive linemen. I mean, they had Bo Collins and EJ Williams, two guys that could be starters alongside Joseph Nagata were, were coaches. They were like player coaches, Will Shipley and Kobe Pace, your top two running backs. They weren't a part of it. Do you, do you buy into Dabo's uh, support of DJ as QB one heading into the off season? Yeah, I think that, I mean, just go back to what you're talking about at the beginning of the show, the way Dabo runs his program and his vision for his program and the identity of what they do. It's not that Cade can't win the job, but we've seen it before. Like when Trevor Lawrence first showed up or when, you know, Deshaun Watson first showed up, like he lets the veteran guys who had the job, he gives them every single chance that he can to hold on to the job. Kelly Bryant got, you know, he started the season when Trevor Lawrence came on he would get some snaps as a backup. And then once Trevor was out playing Kelly Bryant, they made the move. 
I think we'll probably see something similar this year. DJ will start the year as Clemson's starting quarterback. And if he's not playing well, and Cade Clubman has been practicing well and impressing the coaches, we're going to see him get some series. And if he plays well in live action and DJ is not playing well, we'll see them make that change. But it's really hard to take anything away from what we saw because, as you said, like, the defense dominated the spring game because they were missing half their offensive line. Like it's really hard to block a good defense when you're using your backup offensive lineman and you don't have a great offensive line to begin with. So of course the defense was going to dominate it. And that's kind of something Dabo talked about too, where he's like, it's not so much DJ as much as we have to put help around him and help DJ play better. And there wasn't a whole lot of help for him in that spring game. There wasn't a whole lot of help for him last year on the field, as far as targets in the receiving game. And, I think that is something that is probably, if I'm a Clemson fan, obviously the quarterback battle is going to be what draws my attention. But I think what's going to be more important to your offense is what's going on everywhere else. The um, uh, Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports has a column up on Clemson uh, right now, sort of kicking around the idea that, you know, we're, we're talking about DJU, but with the way that this Clemson team is built uh, with so much talent elsewhere, especially when it gets healthy, that there is a there is a Georgia there is a Georgia like path, and I hope I'm not like misconstruing this entirely. But I, I liked the idea, so I wanted to give him credit. I'm not going to lift your idea, Brandon, and bring it to the Cover Three podcast without shouting you out. But I did think it was interesting to consider if there is a Georgia like path where you don't need DJ to be a Heisman Trophy contender to be able to go out there and win. Where if he is a game manager and is doing so with a little bit more confidence, few less turnovers. We already know he's lost 20 pounds and he's trying to have more balance when it comes to making some plays on the run. Like, What if they just strip this entire playbook down and make it really simple? And in my mind, I was like, oh, this is the like SEC in 2013 or SEC mm-hmm. in 2011 kind of model, which I think Dabo might be okay with, where they're just going to run the ball, make easy throws, and play hellacious defense, something that I do think could win them an ACC championship. Do you think that that could be able to uh, fare well on the national stage as well? No. I, I, I think I agree. I think that if they do take that approach, they could win the ACC, but I don't think if they get to the playoff, they're going to be able to beat whoever they run into in the playoff playing that way because while it worked for Georgia, Georgia's defensive depth, I think, as far as talent-wise, is far greater than Clemson's. And I think that while Clemson has very good players on defense, I don't think they run two to three deep at every spot with five-star talent and kind of being able to put 11 guys on the field at a time who will be in the NFL. And I think that is the one reason why Georgia was able to get away with it. That said, I do think that from a talent perspective, DJU has a much higher ceiling than what Stetson Bennett was able to give that Georgia offense. So at least if they put in a position where they need to score points, maybe they'll be able to overcome it with their offense with DJ compared to what Georgia could do with Stetson. But no, I I don't think Clemson has enough horses on defense to be able to just follow that Georgia blueprint and think it can win a national title doing so. Florida State held its garnet and gold spring game on Saturday. Our own Danny Cannell uh, was one of the two uh, one of the two primary assistants. He and Pete Boulware were on one side. Bryant McFadden who was with BMAC? Uh, it was uh, it was Bullware and Danny on one team, and BMAC and uh, oh God, now I can't remember who BMAC's assistant was. <laughs> but uh, does, does is Danny on the hot seat? He is should he, be. Didn't he, he get shut be, out? Yeah, that's that's what I heard. Is that DK got shut? It's very difficult because the Florida State offense totaled thirty eight points in the spring game, but base. Oh, it was uh, EJ Manuel. There we go. Yeah, EJ Manuel was with uh, BMAC. So the offense totaled 38 points, but the passing game wasn't all that great. Um, now, there were multiple offensive linemen that were out or limited, and you know there's, uh, there's some other ways to look at uh, how this performance ends up sh- looking in terms of Florida State and the expectations. But any, any, any criticism for our guy, DK, uh, or any any thoughts on where Florida State is at coming out of the spring? I'm just saying he was talking a lot of stuff last week about how BMAC was telling him his defensive game plan. And he's like, all right, well, now I know how I pick him apart. Didn't look like it worked, Danny. 
And now you're not here today, afraid to show your face to the cover three faithful to coming home with your tail tucked between your legs. <laughs> just, there, I just don't that. think, I just don't think Danny is allowed to criticize Florida state this season because of this. I, I just think that if Florida state plays poorly, Danny has to say, well, they did better than I would have done. <laughs> That's um, going to be the FSU minute every week. It was, it was a cold, windy day, but 30,000 in attendance coming off four losing seasons was something that is, uh, they think is positive. Bud mentioned was a positive, um, super windy. Not that the passing offense looked all that great, but Danny's team did get shut out. Danny followed up. He said, uh, you know, I can't make it today. I'm traveling to New York City for our showtime. It's probably good because the play calling was a fireable offense. <laughs> Danny just kept calling halfback dive. That's all. It's like (laughs) not enough play action, not enough shots. You know, just he's too conservative because of the wind. You could tell it was scaring him off. Or maybe he just, oh, maybe he just didn't have faith in his QBs, Chip. Maybe that's the problem. Well, he also posted his play call sheets on Twitter. Yes, which is, I mean, I appreciate it. I don't know if it's the best strategy for coaches. I mean, that's almost like, you, what's the old joke? It's like I I worked on this story for four months, and he just dot dot dot. He tweeted. just tweeted it out. <laughs> yeah, it's the 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 Wakey Leaks investigation would have been solved if Danny Cannell was just there sharing on Twitter what the play call sheets were. Um, a couple of actual we we love Danny, and uh, it's it's too bad the play calling didn't work out for him. But a couple of actual um, thoughts on Florida State and where we're at right now. I thought that. Uh, Micah Pittman is a great addition to this team. And he, Jared Verse is a great addition to this team. These are transfer portal additions. And based on where the, the roster was at from the team that I saw last year, Mike Norvell and his staff were going to have to use the transfer portal. Again, Micah Pittman, wide receiver, Jared Verse, a defensive end. Jared Verse is not going to be Jermaine Johnson. I no. believe it's either Bud or Danny said that on this podcast a little while back, but still somebody that is... Oh yeah, we talked about him. The potential uh, in the in portal the, draft, in the yeah transfer portal mm-hmm. uh, All American team. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I don't think there's any any real surprise, but this is definitely Jordan Travis as QB one, and then Looks the past. Way, yeah. But and then but there there is somewhat of a limitation uh, on this uh, on this passing attack. Any any other thoughts on Florida State? No, I, you know, Danny and Bud aren't here. We don't need to talk about them. That's just how it is. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I don't think we, again, I don't think we really learned anything new about Florida State based on the spring game. We just learned that if Cover 3 does start its own college football program, Danny should be the head coach and he should hire an offensive coordinator and somebody else to call plays. Yeah. Bud's OC, you're DC, and I'm special teams. Yeah, there we go. Boom. There we go. It's going to be windy in Tallahassee. (laughs) Shout out to Short Round. Uh, Okay, so we've hit Nebraska. We've hit Florida State. We've hit Clemson. Um, Any other other big? Oh, Auburn. Mm. No no surprises. Again, it's like we've been talking about all spring. We don't know. They're not going to know who the QB is until – fall like we're not probably not going to know who Auburn's starting quarterback is until they're taking the very first snap on that first Saturday of the season so if you went into the spring game thinking all right somebody's going to step forward and separate themselves from the rest of the pack you were just setting yourself up for disappointment that's all so Zach Calzada is a little bit limited we weren't really gonna have a good idea of where he's at TJ Finley did take the first team reps but Still, still, a long, long way to go in that. Did you see the snowstorm in Lexington, yes. Kentucky? Yes. <laughs> That's how football is supposed to be played. Welcome to the real world, SEC. So, it, are you a Will Levis believer? Because I, when we did our Heisman draft, uh, one of the one of the references for research was to look at the Heisman odds board, even though, you know, we even said in our analysis more often than not, the players at the top of the Heisman odds board don't end up being real contenders for the Heisman trophy. And I was surprised at where Will Levis was listed on that odds board. Kentucky fans are excited and, you know, seven for eight for, you know, 80 some odd yards. But are, do you think that Kentucky's offense 
will be with a new offensive line coach with the new offensive coordinator. Do you think that they've got the ability to be a difference making side of the ball? No, this is a Mark. So this is a Mark Stoops, Kentucky team where we will be winning at the line of scrimmage and then figuring it out as best we can around that. Yeah. I believe in Will Levis being good enough for Kentucky to get where they want to go and to achieve its goals for where they want to be at the end of the season. I do not believe in Will Levis or the Kentucky offense as being something that's going to go to a new level and raise the program to a level where they're winning 12 games and competing with Georgia for the SEC. No, which is, you know, where it's, I don't think anybody really is thinking that, but I don't think that Florida or Kentucky's offense is just going to make this giant leap and become this explosive unit when we've seen far too much evidence to the contrary in recent years where like Kentucky is kind of becoming what Mark Stoops, you know, like, when you look at what Iowa is, Stoops is from that same line. I just feel like Kentucky is kind of taking that same approach where they're never going to be extremely explosive on offense. They're just going to be good enough to win games. Any other uh, games or teams that we haven't mentioned here that you were that hit your radar? No. <laughs> that's that's honesty. Any uh, Champions League second leg thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I would take Bayern over two and a half because Valerio like shut them out in the first leg. And that is the first time in 24 matches overall in which Bayern had been shut out and the first time in 30 Champions League matches that Bayern had been shut out. And I just feel like Bayern coming back home for the second leg is probably going to try to make a point saying, okay, well, he got us the first time, buddy, but we're going to score a lot of goals. So Lewandowski, Lewandowski anytime goal. Yeah. I would rather just take Bayern over two and a half. Yeah. Feels feels a little bit better. That's, mm-hmm. Is there a corner picks going up? Uh, yeah, I was working on it today. It'll be going up later today. Actually, it might be up now. I don't know. I, I turned it in, so. Keep your eyes peeled for that. And, of course, all Champions League action can be seen on Paramount+. Plus. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back with you Wednesday. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. 